everyone and welcome to a new episode of Reconnect. This is CC and today I am with... <laughs> Guys, you can talk. Oh, dude, do you I, want I me keep, to introduce yourself? I keep, I keep waiting. No, I was waiting for Ray to say... Okay, so we were both waiting for each other to say hello. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll go first. Hi, this is TJ. And this is Ray. As usual, today we will be diving into one more uh, subject that we have regarding the Bible. And today we will be covering a subject many people, whether you are Christian or not Christian, are very used to hear somewhere. Mm -hmm. Maybe if I say the red apple that got stuck, <laughs> <The red> apple. <laughs> that got stuck in the throat mm -hmm. of someone, it rings some bells in your mind. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. this is exactly yes. what we'll be talking about. Uh, so what will be the exact subject of today? Can one of you guys uh, let us know? The title of today's topic is Garden of Eden, but behind the scenes. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. So everybody knows what happened during the Garden of Eden, but we're going to talk about what really happened behind the scenes. Mm. <laughs> it really sounds <laughs> like a movie. Making it all dramatic. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> but the thing is, You know, Cece, it's really interesting because you said red apple mm. and Genesis chapter 2 and 3 never talks about an apple. It automatically connects to, oh, it's the Garden of Eden. Oh, it's the tree of the knowledge yeah. of good and evil. Yeah. But it wasn't a red apple. For some reason, we associate an apple being that fruit. I really mm. wish I knew where that came from. Mm. I think it's because of all those picture books of the mm, Bible, children's yeah. illustrations. And because it's a fruit and an apple is predominantly uh, the first. A is like the entire <laughs> the alphabet, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, apple, it's going to be red. And I base that on absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> But it does make sense. It does make sense. It has a point. Okay. Yeah. So I hope our listeners aren't too harsh on that logic and reasoning. And let's just <laughs> let's just away. begin the topic. Yes. <laughs> Typing away. Sorry. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's go behind the scenes of the Garden of Eden. I think it is essential to understand first what is in front of our eyes before we even go behind the curtain. Maybe you guys can give us some light regarding the Garden of Eden, what happened there, who was there, and all those little details that we might not mm -hmm. recall well. Back to Sunday school, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll say <it. laughs> I can It's take been, us there. It has been a long time Sunday school, if we think about our age right now. So a little uh, like reminder. We're not disclosing that information. No, no, yes, no, let's that, not. That But uh, Ray... <laughs> Yes, Ray, if you could please take us back to Sunday school. Sure, I'll, I would do my best for the, the small amount of our listeners who have never heard this before. So the story of the Garden Eden. So you have God and he creates man. He creates Adam and he takes man, Adam, and puts him in the Garden of Eden. And from man, he creates Eve. And so there you have Adam and Eve within this garden. God's there as well. So you have this garden and it's actually really beautiful. And God has all this trust and he gives it to Adam. And Adam has dominion over everything within the garden, which is a pretty good deal. So, and this is like usually when you, when you think about, <laughs> think about like, nah. I don't think that's how I learned it in Sunday school. It's a it's, pretty, it's, it's hey, a pretty I mean, good know, deal. Thinking about it now that I'm out of Sunday school, I think it's a pretty good. It's okay, pretty okay, good all right. <laughs> um, and, the, and the important thing here isn't naming animals and things like that. Other things, other details we might have learned in Sunday school. The important thing is that God had all this trust, and He did give all this authority to Adam. Yeah. And, and of course, yes, you had Eve there to help as well. But it was something that was given to Adam. That level of trust was established between God and Adam. And within this mm -hmm. garden, you have two very important trees. You have the tree of life. Awesome. Mm -hmm. 
It's a really good name. And then you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we look at Genesis chapter two, we know that God tells Adam directly, he says, you can eat from any tree in the garden. But if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So you have all of this trust with God. You have all of this ability to eat from anything, but not this one tree. Beyond just God and Adam and Eve existing in the garden, we also have the serpent. When I was a kid, it was always drawn like really terribly. But <laughs> but you have the serpent in the garden and this serpent deceives Eve into eating fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when she eats it, Adam's like, man, that looks pretty good. So she's like, hey, have some. He eats it as well. As a result, sin enters the world and God has to kick them out of the garden. But now I want to bring up some points that people may overlook or a lot of people have questions about. One thing is that God, um, he created the Garden of Eden. And in chapter two, we see that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is right at the center of the garden. Mm. So that's that's something to think about. I've heard a lot of my atheist friends say, hey, why did God put the tree there? Why did he put it there? Why put the temptation there in the first place? It's like you have a kid, you put all these toys surrounding him, and then you put a gun. Don't play with the gun. Yeah, yeah. So that's their example. That's their example. And they have a point, but that's because it comes from a lack of knowledge of the mm. entire context and, an, and a lack of understanding of God. That's something to think about. Also, why is eating this fruit such a grave sin? Hmm. Because a lot of people tend to think that sin entered the world simply because Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command to a degree. Mm. Of course, they disobeyed God's command, and that's a sin. But let's also think about how Eve was deceived, how Adam was deceived. Hmm. But let's first talk about this serpent. In chapter 3, after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, God curses the serpent, doesn't he? And he says, you have to crawl on your belly for the rest of your life. <laughs> so it's like, oh, so the snake had feet? <laughs> And to me, that's oh, just the lizard. Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't crawling there? That's just the lizard. I, I don't know what, where this is coming from. But anyway, it does state that uh, you will crawl on your belly mm. for the rest of your days, right? And so a lot of people have questions. It says you will only eat dust to fill your belly. A snake eats dust. We know that snakes eat more than dust. They eat a lot of other things. So what does this really mean? What is this serpent? We have to realize that, biblically speaking, this serpent is not just a serpent. Mm. So if we go to Revelations chapter 20, it tells us what the identity of the serpent is. For the people that are not very used to the Bible, the story of the Garden of Eden is in the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. And right now, TJ is trying to explain Genesis by going to the very last book of the Bible, which is Revelation. So... This is a long travel, but let's hear what TJ will want to tell us regarding Revelation. So if you go to Revelations chapter 20, I'll read it to you. Chapter 20, verse 2. He sees the dragon. So in Revelations, we have this dragon that appears. And it says this dragon is that ancient serpent. And when it's talking about ancient serpent, it's referring to the serpent that appeared in Genesis chapter 3. Mm. It says this ancient serpent is the devil or mm. Satan. Ah, so we now understand that the serpent, this ancient serpent back in Genesis 3 is not just a serpent, but is Satan himself. So what is Satan? We talked about it in the previous episode, but the important thing is the serpent is not really <laughs> the snake we make it out to be. Yeah. It's Satan. 
For us to truly understand what's going on behind the scenes now, we have to know who Satan is and how it came、mm. to be.、Mm. So if we go to Isaiah chapter 14,、uh, after verse 12, it gives us a detailed account as to how Satan came to be. Satan was an angel、mm-hmm. called the morning star and fell because he wanted to become like God. Mm. Mm. So let's read that when you have time. Please go through Isaiah chapter 14. Be like the Bereans. Don't take our <laughs> word for it. Please check out each chapter. Read it, Isaiah 14. It'll tell you about Satan.、Mm-hmm. He wanted to become like God and fell away. It also gives a detailed account in Ezekiel chapter 28.、That's、right. There was this angel, a cherub. God adorned him with so many things, and he was full in wisdom and beauty, and it was the perfect seal. In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we can see、mm. that the reason why that angel、um, became Satan、mm. is because of the kind of heart that he had. And that heart was a heart、mm. that was full of greed. The reason I mentioned this is because it's related to our subject, but I won't say more now. but Please keep, keep <laughs> this in mind、okay. that, that that greed is something、um, that is not good to have, but this is also characteristic that we can find in the Garden of Eden. That's a really good point because Satan came to be because of greed.、Yeah. The greed of wanting to become like God. And it says in Ezekiel chapter 28 anything that this angel did, he was、uh, faultless or blameless in everything, meaning that he was successful in everything、mm. that he did. Right? And if you're successful in everything that you do, one day you're going to start questioning hey, am I really perfect? And if I'm perfect, then am I not God? Yeah. And that's how Satan came to be. I think that's something that a lot of us as humans can understand. Most really enjoy having good things said about them,、mm. right? Whether you're at work, whether it's from your family, your friends, something like that. If your boss is constantly telling you how good of a job you're doing, You know,、yes. It's like, like, oh, Cece, you're, you're so wonderful at this. <laughs> Why you, me?、Oh, <laughs> I thought you were really good for this example. <laughs> but,、uh, <laughs> but, you know, if your boss is saying all these awesome things about you constantly, you kind of have an eternal choice. Am I going to take this and use it to encourage me to do an even better job? Or am I going to let it get to my head and say, well, maybe I can do my boss's job better?、Mm. Very true. Very good point. And, yeah. Very good point. Yeah. I just want to read the verses in Ezekiel 28 because I think it will very well illustrate what Ray just told us here. So, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14 and on. As God is speaking about this angel, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in、mm. you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I, I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings.、Mm. So, what's important to notice here? It says, You were blameless in all your ways、mm. till wickedness was found、mm. in you. You became proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom. So, all these things, now we understand how that can be with Ray's、uh, short analogy there. Very true.、Mm. We know that this is because of this greed. And Cece mentioned that this also has to do with the topic.、Yeah. Greed was in the Garden of Eden. How was greed in the Garden of Eden? Oh, ho. Eve was the perfect、yes. example、mm. of that greed. But before we、mm-hmm. even go there, because we were still talking regarding serpents, that angel that became Satan and that angel. 
is also referring in the Bible as a serpent. But I remember as well reading, for example, in John 8, Jesus calling people just like us serpents. So why was that? Yeah, in, in, in John 8, he says that their father is the devil. And Matthew 23 refers to them as actual snakes, brood of vipers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the biggest attributes people think about when it comes to snakes is the fact that they have the, the ability to infect people mm. with poison. And that ability, when we think about it, it corrupts, right? When someone's been with poison, it starts to break down your physical part of your body and you start to feel pain. There's an element in there that shouldn't be there, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing with people's actions, especially the words. Mm-hmm. That they say the example of the Pharisees and, and the fact that Jesus called them snakes and that their father is a devil. We've talked about it before that how in their own minds, mm-hmm. they were following the law to the letter. Mm-hmm. They were doing everything that they thought to be right. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, by not recognizing who Jesus was, because if they truly knew the scriptures, truly knew them, they would be able to recognize who Jesus was. By not doing that, they were poisoning people that otherwise might have come to Jesus. By their own actions, they have the same physical attributes of giving poison, just like a snake would. So you're saying when God refers to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 as a serpent, it's not really mm. a snake that we see in Australia. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's Satan. That's right. And God refers to Satan as a serpent because of its ability, among many, to poison. Mm. And people who are with the spirit of Satan, for example... The teachers of the law or the Pharisees who Jesus said that they were the children of the devil. They also right. had the ability to poison. And that is why in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus calls them serpents. Mm. So we can see that serpents not only refer to Satan in the spiritual realm, but also people who carry out the will of Satan are also referred to as serpents. Right. With that understanding, going mm. back to Genesis chapter 3, is that really a serpent, <laughs> a snake in Australia? <laughs> yeah, let's not answer that. What? You want to answer this what? right now? Yes. <laughs> mm. Let's think about it. It's something to think about. Yes, it's something to yes. think about. Mm-hmm. Things that make mm. you go, hmm. Mm. Yeah. So that is what's going on behind the scenes with the serpent. But what was really mm. going on with Adam and Eve? Mm. Mm. Well, they were definitely victims of poisoning. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think one thing we have to think about is that if they truly believed in God's commands, did their actions by taking that poison, by being deceived, well, their actions show otherwise. Mm-hmm. But the question is, why was Eve deceived? And I ask this question because I want to bring it back to what CC mentioned about greed mm-hmm. and how greed was found in Eve. What kind of mm-hmm. greed was this? When we, we go back to Genesis, God gave that command to both Adam and Eve to not eat from that fruit. And he told them mm-hmm. not to eat because if they eat, they will surely die. And that was how God put it, the way he actually mm-hmm. said it. And mm-hmm. very curiously, when the serpent approaches Eve in the garden and he speaks to her, he asked her that question regarding what is the exact word that God told her. And the mm-hmm. way Eve is saying, the way she's wording that command of God is very different from how God put it when he said first. She kind of twisted what God said. The way the serpent presented the fact that if she eats the, uh, the fruit, she will become like God. Then from that time on, the fruit started to look very appealing to her eyes. Mm. So if right, this is right. not greed, then what it is? When I read this too, it occurred to me that the serpent was tempting Mm. Eve through her weakness. Mm. 
And the words that the serpent used was the fact that if you eat this, you can become like God. And essentially, that's the greed that Eve had. And it directly ties into the greed that made Satan come into existence in the the first place. So Eve already had that greed of wanting to become like God. Satan, the serpent, used it. That's why she ate it. So is eating the fruit something that we should be um, focusing on or the reason why Eve ate the fruit? Something to be Mm. more focused on. The reason why seems to be the main focus here. Mm. And then Eve, having eaten this fruit, took it to Adam. Adam surely knew of God's commandment. But what did Adam do? He ate the fruit as well. Why would Adam have eaten the fruit? Eve ate it because she wanted to become like God. But what about Adam? Let me guess. As a very human person, (laughs) I would say... (laughs) I would say we have um, this expression. When you are in love, you become blind. So... (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah, love love is blind. 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 So maybe Mm -hmm. because of his overflowing love for her, Mm. he was just blind to her word and he just took in what she was proposing to him because, you know, she was Mm. Eve, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Adam loved Eve very much. This is my guess. And we can't say for sure why exactly Mm. he ate the fruit. But what we do know is Adam knew of God's commandment not to eat the fruit. And yet what Eve brought it to him, he went ahead and ate it. So they both broke down to sin. They both gave in to sin and the temptation that the serpent laid in front of them. If Adam loved God more than he loved Mm. Eve, would he have eaten the fruit? It Mm. takes me to Abraham because God tests Abraham with Isaac. It's a big test. And Abraham had Isaac at a very old age and God tells him to sacrifice him. You know, how would he have felt (laughs) as his son? And then he has to take him and sacrifice him. And what a lot of people overlook is the fact that when you sacrifice a person, it's not just simply stabbing, not just killing, but also separating the flesh and the organs. And you're doing that to your own child. And Abraham, well, it says because he believed in the promise that God made to him, he was able to do this. But at the same time, if Abraham did not love God sufficiently enough to believe in the promises that God gave to him, would he have sacrificed Isaac? This is a very good insight. Very. Contents of their hearts were, Mm. in these two examples, Mm. it's vastly different. It's interesting because, you know, growing up, those of us who grew up knowing the story of Adam, you think more about the action than you do. What might have led Eve to make that decision to take the fruit from the snake in the first place? Mm. And actually what motivation did Adam have? What was within him that made him actually disobey God? Mm -hmm. And so by those actions, you see what was more important to them. And it's actually something that when it comes to the contents of our heart, it's something that we all have to check. Mm. You know, what is actually most important to us? Mm. And Abraham, for many of us, and I've I've thought about this a lot of times, could I have made the same decision that he made? Could I have Mm. followed through? Is my trust in God's command, that my relationship with him, my love for him, that strong? Yes, very good question. At the end of the day, Adam was still like the first that God created. And Mm. Adam was the Mm -hmm. one in in whom God put his trust. The one that God like entrusted everything. From God's perspective, seeing Adam, that creation that he entrusted Mm. everything with, betraying him. What would be the heart of God when seeing that? This is an enormous mm. act of betrayal. Let's be honest here. It's yeah. not just eating the fruit, disobeying. No, it's breaking trust. Mm. But trust with whom? Mm. With your creator. And this mm. is something I think we don't really think a lot about regarding the perspective of God and the heart that he would mm. have uh, felt 
when he saw Adam and Eve betraying him. Yeah, because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve by partaking of this fruit of the knowledge of good Mm -hmm. and evil. You see in Genesis chapter 6, sin filled the earth after Adam and Eve sinned. And God, watching this, it says his heart was deeply Mm -hmm. troubled. And it came to a point where he regretted creating man. This is how God felt. And it's just a sentence. But if you think about it, if you contemplate what that means for God to be deeply troubled in his heart and also to regret creating man, what parent would say they regret having their child? What extent do they have to go to? They have to experience to be able to say that. If you're a parent, you would know that that does not come out easily. But to see his creation corrupted to a point where he says he regrets creating. You have to understand the weight of what that means. The repercussions of that sin, it affects all of us. You know, Romans 5.12 specifically says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because Mm -hmm. all sinned. The repercussions of that one decision to follow what was in Eve's heart and what Adam placed as more valuable to him, it brought us into this cycle of death that has continued on from generations since. So it's not just a simple situation of a parent witnessing a simple act of disobedience. Because when we, when we think about eating the fruit from a tree, we try to humanize it and try mm-hmm. to bring it down to our level. Mm-hmm. Why is this such a big deal to God? Mm-hmm. And when you have that understanding of that level of trust from your creator being broken and then seeing the consequences mm-hmm. that have existed from that point, it, it gives us a better understanding of the pain that God must have felt. And I think we rarely speak about the pain uh, of God having gone through this because a lot of it is distorted. Like you said, Ray, a lot of people say, what's the big deal here? I mean, if God didn't want them to eat the fruit, then why did he put the tree there? Why was the tree in the garden in the first place? And I want to say that it's important to read the scriptures carefully and accurately. If you see in Genesis chapter 2, it never says God made the tree and placed it in the garden. It says that the tree was in the garden. Mm -hmm. It's for us to find out why that tree was there. It doesn't say that God placed it there. It's our assumption and presumption. Interpretation. Yes, yes. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, that we we must not go beyond what is written. And for us to say that God placed it there, that's malicious. He's sadistic. A lot of uh, atheists (laughs) say that. That's going beyond scripture because that's simply not what's said in the Bible. It doesn't make sense for God to place the tree there knowing that Adam and Eve would eat it. Because if God knew it, would he intentionally make himself deeply troubled in his heart and also intentionally regret creating mankind? It makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. So we have to understand that there is another narrative to the story we have yet to find out. But the thing is, it's all in the Bible. We just have to read it from God's perspective. I really like the phrase that Ray used. We try to bring it down to our perspective, right? We don't read the Bible according to God's perspective. But the Mm. thing is, this entire book that we call the Holy Bible is God's word and God's narrative. So if we don't read it in God's perspective, obviously, we're not going to be able to understand it. Very true. Yeah, make me think of a verse in Isaiah 55 that said that God's thoughts and God's way are not ours. They are very different, just Mm -hmm. like the heaven and the earth are very far. Just like Mm -hmm. TJ said, when we really take time to sit and to read what is in the Bible, most of the time we Mm -hmm. read very, very fast. 
we want to go through <laughs> the pages because the Bible <laughs> is a thick book. Let's be honest there. And yeah. the writings are yeah. very small. So we are like, oh, quickly, quickly. But really, like, if we take time and really read carefully everything that is written, then we start to ask ourselves the right question and we start to really mm -hmm. seek what are the right answer there. So this is something that I think all of us as Christian, as people of faith, we need to work on why we are living our life yeah. of faith. And I think the right question to start asking is, what is God doing mm -hmm. and what is Satan doing? From the very beginning, huh. God gave us life. He created us. Yeah. Satan, in the very beginning, his intention was to deceive. After that event of the fall of man, as we know, God's intention and plan has been to sanctify mankind back to its original right. state, right? We see That's throughout right. the Bible, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, that God is working to sanctify us, which means to get rid of sin, mm -hmm. to create us again, recreate us in a state of holiness. What does Satan keep doing? Well, throughout the Bible, we see that Satan is continuing to tempt and also to devour the believers who are trying to get to God, who are trying to sanctify themselves through the word. I mean, the name, the name Satan alone, I know we talked about it on, on a previous episode, mm -hmm. but to oppose. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So the title Satan alone mm -hmm. tells you what he's been doing all this time. Mm -hmm. What is his number one goal to prevent this from happening? Yes. To keep us in this cycle that we've been locked in since that first sin. Mm -hmm. And yeah, God, this entire time has been, man, I, 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 part of me hates to use this example, but it's like a parent, like doing cleanup. Mm. Like it really, your kid made this mistake and you're trying to fix it, mm. you know, but, mm. and, but our, but God's been doing this for such a long time to repair this Yes, and to do it and not, and not just to repair, but to do it in a way where it won't be mm. broken again. Mm -hmm. I think this is the most important. The fact that what God is trying to do right now is something that mm -hmm. will not be broken again. Because if we take yeah. a look to the Bible, each time like God always like, give comments to his people and always that comment was broken by those people. But just like Ray said, right now, the work that God has been doing continuously, even though there has been some glitches on the way, is still mm -hmm. trying to make something that will be durable. This is uh, something that we really should be grateful about so to God for not giving up on us. Is that mm -hmm. the right term in English? Giving yeah. yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Not giving up on us. That's good. Yeah, I think we can say this because we do have an understanding of what God has been doing for the last 6,000 years of God's history. Mm -hmm. He chose the Israelites. He gave them the law. Uh, they broke it. Solomon, who we think is a very righteous and wise king, also betrayed God in his uh, later days in his life. And continuously, we see the betrayal um, that God had to experience. But despite all those betrayals, God does not give up and he tries to reconnect us. And that's ultimately why he sent us Jesus. The, the reason we're talking about the Garden of Eden and behind the scenes is what happened behind the scenes, which was Satan is trying to deceive us. God is trying to reconnect us, trying to sanctify us, is happening even to this day. Spirits do not die. Only the flesh mm. perishes, but the spirits are still there. God is there. Satan is still there. They are still doing the works of what God is doing is to sanctify. Satan is still trying to deceive. 
what do we do about that now? And how do we recognize God's work and Satan's work in this day and age? That's the question we should be asking. When we take a look back to the time of the first coming, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those people were religious figures that gave the words to the Israelites at that time. Mm-hmm. So, yes, people of God. Yeah, mm-hmm. the people of God mm-hmm. at that time. So they were giving the word, right? But when Jesus supposedly. came... Mm-hmm. Yeah, supposedly. But when Jesus <laughs> came, Jesus pointed them out as being like serpents, which mm-hmm. means that they were giving poison to the people of God. At that time, the people didn't recognize it, but Jesus still, he pointed them out as serpents. So in our time, what we can ask ourselves, is that the same as the first coming? How do we recognize the people that are like giving us poison? Right. How is Satan working yeah. in this day and age? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Good question. Well, a lot of Christians make the mistake of believing that Satan and the poison that he gives is found in other religions, like it's in Buddhism, it's found in Islam or something like that. But that's not the case, especially when we look at what happened in the first coming as an example with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You know, by looking in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see that Satan is working in God's temple. It's not in the Buddhist temple. It's not in Islam. It's not in any other religion. It's within God's temple. It makes the question even more important of how can we know if we're being poisoned? How can we discern? But if we look in Ephesians chapter six, we can find an answer there. It's about being fully armored with God's word. By having God's word, having the knowledge and understanding of God's word, this is what protects us from Satan's poison. And it's not about being partially armored, <laughs> just, yeah. ha- just having a helmet or just having like the chain mail or something, but fully armored. You know, my friend here at the church, he once explained to me this concept of being fully armored in a very concrete way. Mm. How many books do we have in the Bible? 66 books. Those 66 books are all pieces of the armor that we should wear. If you only have 64 or 63 pieces of armor on you, then you have vulnerability. Mm. Being fully armored is fully understanding God's word, not just reading the 66 books, fully understanding it, mastering it. Mm. Amen. Mm -hmm. And once you do, you can fully understand Mark chapter 16, verse 10, where it says, Jesus tells us, you can drink the poison and it will not harm you. A lot of people thought that this is physical poison, but no, it's spiritual. And once you have the full armor of God and God's truth, any poison that Satan sends your way, it will not harm you. It harmed Eve, but it will not harm us. <laughs> Amen. That's Amen. the kind of faith that we should have. So let's really dive into the Bible within our daily lives. Keep spreading the love and the gospel that Jesus gave to us. Live the faith that God wants us to live. Amen. Mm. So this was us today, TJ, Ray, and CC diving into the subject of the Garden of Eden behind the scene. And we really hope that this episode has been enlightening. So yeah, that was us for today. And you have been listening to Reconnect with TJ <laughs> and Ray and CC. And we will see you in our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and share with your friends. If you have questions, please contact us. Mm-hmm. And yes, until yes. next time. Until, until next then. time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.